This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. Welcome to AM. It's Thursday the 19th of October. I'm Sabra Lang coming to you from Nipaluna, Hobart. During a rare trip to Israel, the United States President Joe Biden said a preliminary intelligence assessment of a deadly explosion at a Gaza hospital was caused by an errant rocket fired by a terrorist group from the territory. Gaza authorities say Israel caused the blast. Leach blames the other. What we do know is that hundreds died, possibly as many as 500. Doctors, nurses, patients and civilians, many of whom were sheltering there for safety. The blast was huge and our following report contains some distressing details. Correspondent Nick Dole is in southern Israel. Around the grounds of the Al-Ali hospital, workers are scooping pools of blood into bags. Most of the bodies have already been removed, but there are burnt-out shells of various cars, suggesting the explosion was enormous. A doctor at the hospital, Mohammed Al-Naka, says there were about 3,000 people sheltering in and around the grounds. There was no warning before the hospital was targeted, he says. We don't know what it was, but we found out what it can do. It hit children and cut them into pieces. Video of the blast shows a massive ball of flame lighting the night sky. Hamas immediately blamed Israel, which has hit thousands of targets in Gaza, in retaliation for the October 7 terrorist attacks that killed at least 1,400 people. Israel denies striking the hospital and says that the blast occurred when a rocket launched by the Islamic Jihad group misfired. Shortly after arriving in Tel Aviv, US President Joe Biden offered his assessment. I was deeply saddened and outraged by the uh, explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. And based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team, not, not you. He was later asked why he was so sure, and he said it was based on information shown to him by the Pentagon. The White House says the US assessment is based on overhead images, intercepts and open source information. But in the West Bank city of Ramallah, many don't believe those explanations. With fists in the air, protesters have called for a Palestinian uprising. Protester Lena Widdy says she's marching in solidarity with the people of Gaza, but she fears for her own safety too. People are extremely upset and you know, every single person who's in the street is risking their life because Israel has arrested over 800 Palestinians in the West Bank. They have killed over 60 Palestinians. So every single person, every child, every elderly woman, every man is risking their life. Israel says its crackdown in the West Bank has foiled several attacks. Joe Biden's trip was designed to demonstrate America's strong support for Israel and deter Iran and Hezbollah in southern Lebanon from escalating the situation. My message to any state or any other hostile actor, thinking about attacking Israel remains the same as it was a week ago. Don't. 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 And despite this trip being largely overshadowed by the hospital blast, there has been some progress on a humanitarian corridor. The Israeli government says at the request of the US president, it won't try to stop food, water and medicine entering Gaza via Egypt. But it says no aid will enter via Israel until the hostages, close to 200 of them, are released. This is Nick Dole in Ashdod reporting for AM.
As a humanitarian crisis worsens in Gaza, the United Nations is pleading for a ceasefire to allow the delivery of food, water, medicine and fuel. The United Nations Relief Works Agency is operating in Gaza. Juliet Tuma is a spokeswoman based in Jerusalem. Juliet Tuma, thanks for talking to AM. Is anywhere safe in Gaza right now? No place is safe in Gaza. No place is safe in Gaza. Even our own schools, our own shelters... UN shelters, UN schools, they're no longer safe. Only yesterday uh, we've had an attack on one of our schools. We've lost uh, at least eight people who have been killed um, during that that attack. Dozens were injured, including Andra staff. Andra has lost at least 14 colleagues of ours who have been killed since the war began. No place is safe in Gaza. The agency has about 13,000 workers there, from teachers to doctors and nurses. How are they coping? What have they said to you? Oh, they're terrified. They're absolutely terrified. They're tired, exhausted. It's been 11 very, very long days. It's uh, Many of them described the situation as a nightmare. Uh, some people referred to it as a hellhole. Some people said, I prefer I would die Many, many, many are concerned about their children, their inability to reassure their children. The sense of helplessness is overwhelming among our staff. They're not able to reassure their loved ones to tell them that it's going to be all right because guess what? In uh, many cases, it's not going to be all right. So they are on the ground. Those who can are there. They are helping people in need. They are the ones who are giving assistance. They are the ones who are helping um, those displaced. I mean, it's an amazing story. These are these are, are really our unsung heroes. They continue to do everything possible under very impossible circumstances. How many facilities does UNRWA have in Gaza? And some people who are not with the agency of all have taken refuge there, even though some of these places aren't designed for that. Yes, we have uh, 180 schools. Uh, Many, many of them have been turned into shelters. We also have dozens of primary healthcare centres. And we also have lots and lots of warehouses because we distribute food, or we used to before the war began. So we have uh, at least 200 UNRWA facilities. Many of them are now uh, being used as shelters. Even unofficially, people have been flocking to our shelters in search of protection. But sadly, last night, we had this uh, attack on the school. And since uh, since the war began, at least 30 of our installations have been impacted in one way or another due to the war. What's the situation with food, water, fuel and medicine at the moment? Well, it's really, really, really critical that fuel is allowed into the Gaza Strip. UNRWA calls for the siege to be lifted off the Gaza Strip so that we can bring in fuel. Fuel is absolutely critical for the water to resume in the Gaza Strip. Without fuel, two million people are going to continue to be deprived of water. So fuel is a top, top priority for the agency. And then we need to bring in food supplies and we need to bring in other humanitarian supplies. But for all of this to happen, we need two things. We need for the siege to be lifted and for an immediate, immediate ceasefire so that we're able to bring on those supplies and more importantly, to distribute them to people in need in safety so that we don't expose our staff to further risks. There's been talk of opening up a corridor for refugees to escape 
Have you seen anything to bring that about? Well, at the moment, what we do know is that since the 7th of October, Gaza has been completely sealed off and there has not been any movement of people in and out of Gaza. We know from our own staff uh, who have not been able to leave the Gaza Strip, we have not been able to uh, bring in our own personnel and staff to reinforce our operation in the Gaza Strip. We have not been able to send in any staff or get other staff out from Gaza. What's your message to the world? That too many people have suffered since the 7th of October. It's been 11 horrific days, horrific days for people everywhere in in this region. And that it is uh, time for a ceasefire and it is time to lift this uh, very, very long siege that came, in fact, after a blockade for 16 years on on the Gaza Strip. Already the situation was way too hard. People, civilians in the Gaza Strip, including our own teams on the ground, have suffered for way too long. It is time for this nightmare to come to an end. It is time for people to live together, to thrive, for children to go back to school. Juliet Tuma, thanks for talking to AM. Thank you very, very much. Thanks a lot. Juliet Turmer is a spokeswoman for UNRWA, the United Nations Relief Works Agency in Gaza. More than 70 organisations here have signed an open letter urging the Australian government to call for a ceasefire to protect civilians in Gaza. The letter describes Israel's blockade as a clear breach of international law and it's demanding Australia intervene. Political reporter Noor Haydar reports. As residents in Gaza bear the brunt of the conflict, human rights organisations say the international community must do more to ensure civilians are not targeted. Nikita White is a campaigner with Amnesty International Australia. We are witnessing war crimes being committed by the Israeli Defence Forces in Gaza with impunity, without condemnation from the international community. She says Amnesty International has collected evidence of human rights abuses in the days since the war began, including the use of white phosphorus and collective punishment by the Israeli military against Palestinians. We know there is always reluctance from the government to to name war crimes at times, but there is evidence mounting of war crimes. Amnesty International Australia is amongst 74 organisations which have signed a statement urging the Australian government to call for a ceasefire. Other signatories include aid organisations, unions and Muslim, Christian and Jewish faith groups. It is imperative that the government acts urgently and calls on Israel as an ally to allow for humanitarian access to Gaza and for people to be given the food, water and the medical supplies they desperately need. Representatives from some of the groups will gather on the lawns of Parliament House in Canberra today to voice their alarm about the siege on Gaza. Another signatory to the statement is the Australian-Palestine Advocacy Network. Nasser Mashni is the group's president. I'd like Australia to take a leadership role with respect to calling for an immediate ceasefire, an immediate Uh, end to the bombardment of two million captive people. The reality now, for over a week, Palestinians in Gaza, two million people, one million children, have had no access to clean drinking water, food, medicine, uh, electricity. A human catastrophe is unfolding, and it's past time for countries like Australia to stand up and say, enough, stop. 
Alex Repchin is the CEO of the Executive Council of Australian Jewry. He says Australia should not call for a ceasefire. Absolutely not. This is the time when the world must be resolute and stand together with Israel and do what needs to be done to defeat this terrorist organisation. Alex Revchin has also taken aim at the human rights groups who've written the open letter. He says they should have been stronger in their criticism of Hamas after its attack on Israel on the 7th of October. They've waited until Israel has done what it needs to do, which is mount a campaign to defeat this terrorist organisation and rescue its hostages. And it just shows the low ebb of the human rights community in our country. Speaking in Parliament yesterday, Foreign Minister Penny Wong said that Australia urges Israel in defending itself to observe international law and protect human life. Nor Haydar reporting there. Australia's airlines will face more scrutiny with the consumer watchdog, the ACCC, reinstating its regular monitoring of domestic flights, air flares and profits. The surprise decision follows a long period of passenger frustration with Qantas, Virgin and Jetstar. The agreement is part of a political deal which also stops further examination of a government decision to block Qatar Airways from flying more routes into Australia. Political reporter Nicole Hegarty explains. Nicole, exactly what will the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission look at? Well, Sabra, the ACCC will again monitor domestic air services and that remit will include policing things like market conduct, monitoring pricing and profits, as well as cancellations and delays. The ACCC had previously been monitoring just that, with the former Morrison government directing it to do so in response to rising flight prices during the height of the COVID pandemic. Uh, flight prices have stuck at a higher level since. That monitoring regime then lent then lapsed in June of this year with the Albanese government opting not to extend it. And there have been several calls in the interim between then and now uh, for it to be reconstituted, including from the ACCC's own chair, Gina Cass-Gottlieb, who says that the body needs more teeth to help new airlines enter the market, which is currently dominated by Qantas and Virgin. The government argues the previous government failed to act on 12 reports from the ACCC, uh, which found declining service standards and higher prices, but this new monitoring will start before the end of 2023 and then apply for three years. So as you mentioned, the watchdog used to monitor these things, that lapsed. It's now resuming now. Is it a backflip? Why is it it resuming now? Well, it would be safe to say yes, in part, but it is convenient uh, for the government uh, to have this recommence because it helps to show that it's focused on the consumer experience in light of uh, some sustained criticism around a decision not to allow Qatar Airways to extend its flights, increase its flights to the country. And a deal was done between the government and ACT Independent Senator David Pocock to achieve this, to restart the monitoring in exchange for him not backing another uh, reinstatement of a Senate committee inquiry into that Qatar decision. Well, just on that Qatar Airways decision, uh, that the airlines had asked the federal government for more international flights into Australia. The government said no, and there's been some, well, tiptoeing around the reasons as to why. Is there any link between the Qatar decision and the ACCC's move? 
Well, not clearly beyond this deal done with Senator David Pocock to to secure his support, which meant that uh, the government wouldn't have to face more questions over that decision and potentially see the former Qantas boss, uh, Alan Joyce, return to front that Senate committee. So beyond that, it is, as I say, a a convenient move for the government uh, to reflect or move that attention again towards the consumer experience as we all continue to see uh, rather inflated prices. Nicole Hegarty there. It's something many drivers worry about, being sold a lemon and then getting no help from the dealer who sold them the dodgy car. In Victoria, a new report's found it happens too often with significant consequences for the buyer. Consumer groups say the solution is tougher rule, or solutions include tougher rules and penalties, but the car industry is pushing back. National Consumer Affairs reporter Michael Atkin reports. Pretty much as soon as I drove it off the lot, there were issues. Damon Ridge was driving home to regional Victoria after buying a used car from a Melbourne dealer when he realised something was wrong. Indicators weren't working, all the lights flashing on the dashboard and I still had an hour and a half drive to make it home without indicators. The dealer fixed those problems, but just six months later, the car was having regular engine issues and blowing thick blue smoke. His mechanic discovered substantial repairs were needed, leading to a long dispute with the dealer over who should pay. Most of the time it was sitting in my driveway. There are too many faulty cars. Dealers aren't helping people when something breaks, and they should. And the formal complaints process is hard to navigate. That's Erin Turner, Chief Executive of the Consumer Policy Research Centre. She's the author of a new report, which includes the results of a survey of 1,000 Victorians who purchased a new or used car in the past five years. Over half of all Victorians had a fault with their car, something that would be either major, like an engine failure, or significant enough that you could make a complaint under the consumer law, say the air conditioner stopped working. In Victoria, disputes over faulty vehicles go to the state's civil and administrative tribunal, but Erin Turner says there's currently little incentive for dealers to act quickly to repair, refund or replace a car. She's calling for changes to national consumer laws, including large penalties for rogue dealers. There's no significant penalties, unlike there are for other provisions in the consumer law. But the car industry is pushing back arguing the scale of the problem is overstated by consumer groups. Jeff Gwillem is the chief executive of the Victorian Automotive Chamber of Commerce. When we talk to our dealers, they tell us that many, many customers go back to them complaining of major faults in vehicles, and generally they're not major faults. They could be minor wiring, they could be fuse-based, or they could be simple things like trying to pair a phone into a vehicle. Jeff Gwillem's opposed to heavy financial penalties because he believes revoking the licence of dealers is sufficient punishment. But he does support regulators increasing enforcement to push out dodgy operators. I think sometimes there are uh, road players that come into the industry. Uh, They create a bad atmosphere and they damage the reputation of the industry. We're happy to see road traders removed. Damon Ridge took his dealer to VCAT and finally got a refund for his troubled car. It was more than a year and a half after he purchased it. There needs to be massive changes because I'm not the only person this has happened to. Motorist Damon Ridge ending Michael Atkins' report there. That's AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Sabra Lane. 
Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, host of the ABC News Daily Podcast. Chung Lei, the Australian journalist, spent almost three years detained in a Chinese prison before being unexpectedly released. Today, Dr Lavena Lee, a senior lecturer in security studies at Macquarie Uni, on why China released the mother of two now and what it wants in return. Look for the ABC News Daily Podcast on the ABC Listen app. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.